Okay, this is the One Bottle at a Time podcast, and I'm uh, Ronald Dorsey, and uh, we're continuing our conversation that we are having with Mr. Lucas Weicker of the Wind Up Wine Bar in New York City. And, uh, that's in the Flatiron District. Uh, for those of you uh, not familiar with New York City, it's about a a five-minute walk from Madison Square Park. So uh, when we left off, we were talking about uh, Lucas's uh, first kind of uh, knock your socks off experience he had with wine, and he mentioned that it was a reasoning, a, uh, I believe a 15-year-old reasoning, and I guess it's generally accepted that reds age better than whites do. So uh, this comes as quite a surprise to me <laughs> in my wine education. So, so Lucas, let's let's continue with the uh, knock your socks off reasoning that you had, and 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 also, uh, if, if if I may add, is uh, since that was a 15 year old reasoning, if it was something that you enjoyed at a at a vineyard, or was it something that was in a bottle that was readily available for the general public? <laughs> It was not in the vineyard, but it's uh, it was something that um, that a good friend of mine had, and uh, he pulled that for for us, and it was it was pretty it was pretty amazing because mm. you know it was also one of those things where you know you were not sure if it was still any good. <laughs> right, so right, sometimes you know you you right. you, you get like oh this is I mean I hope this is still great, but right, you right. don't know, and mm. then you crack it and you go like. Mm. Yep, that's that's done. Or yes, that is wonderful, you know. Mm. And it was one of those moments. And um, I don't I, I don't remember what the what the wine was now, but um, I was you know was really surprised. And uh, you know the sometimes the ageability of white wines is you know mm. I think a little bit underestimated. Mm. Um, but then again, you know you know, I think you always have to say too that most. Most wines, you know, you just can buy in a store. You probably shouldn't age. You know, you just drink it right there and then. <laughs> right, right, right. So, that, so obviously, so so I'm going to venture that this is someone that had a had a private cellar. Or? Yeah. So he okay. um, he had some 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 stuff sitting around, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he he had brought it back from. Well, he had bought it here, uh, and 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 he had sitting around, and and then you know we. We managed, you know, we opened it, and it was it was pretty amazing. Mm. Um, so very, I was, it, you know, as I said earlier, it, it really opened uh, my eyes to what reasoning can be, mm. um, what reasoning can become, and also, you know, when you put a when you put a wine away, and for a long time, you know, how wine can change, mm. and um, you know, I think. A lot of people have that with you know things like Burgundy or with um, things like uh, like you know Bordeaux or right. whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's it's also pretty amazing to look back in time. Um, and, and in fact, my I was it was my father's uh, 60th birthday a few years ago, and um, I got him a bottle of his birth year of Madeira. Wow, and Madeira <laughs> ages incredibly well, mm. um, and you can you know, can still really get some mm. some. Really, so now for really for, our, for our audience, Madeira is native to. So it's a Portuguese dessert wine. It's a fortified wine, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so you you add uh, you know for what makes a wine fortified is you add uh, usually some sort of uh, liquor or some sort of higher proof. 
um, spirit or you know anything like that into the wine in order to raise the um, to raise the proof um, and often to stop fermentation and while mm -hmm. it's happening to so retain a lot of the sugar that it has before but also bringing the proof up so the fermentation stops um, and uh, with Madeira in particular you know it's, it is it has some you know sweet but also high acid so it, it lasts mm. for a long time and it's also red so it has some tannin structure and it uh, really supports uh, supports ageability um, and it is also often oxid you know oxidized and style because it sees oak and then sees some some oxygen in that process too mm. um, so you know we were drinking we were sitting there drinking wine from his birth here and you know, <laughs> it, was, it was amazing oh uh, yeah. yeah that's cool uh, that's that's cool that's it's real cool it's you know, and you have that experience like, wow, this wine was made in this year and it's wow. a long time ago. And you can wow. really look back and think about all the things that have happened since this mm. wine was made. And it's, mm. it's a very interesting and, and beautiful experience. Mm. Mm. And that's what wine is, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's an experience. Yes. You know, that's, that's what it is. It's an experience and it's wonderful to have the, uh, you know, company of good friends and, and family and, and also new acquaintances. Sure. And, uh, you know, to enjoy bottled wine. So once again, this is the One Bottle at a Time podcast. And uh, today you're here with Mr. Lucas Weikert enjoying a bottle of uh, his own specialty uh, blend. So for our audience, once more, can you tell them the wine that we're enjoying today at the One Bottle at a Time podcast? Yeah, of course. Uh, so we're drinking the Tinker Red. Uh, it's by Hawker Wine Company out of California. And um, it's, uh, it's a red blend, um, and it's Zinfandel, Sangiovese, and Merlot. And we, we got the, um, the, first, the first wine of this, and it's 2016. So it's still, you know, still good and fresh and, you know, a nice, nice acid, good fruit, and very, very drinkable. So very drinkable. We, we yes, like yes. it. Yeah, we've been enjoying drinkable. it for yeah, a little yeah. bit, and it's still tasting <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, we've been enjoying it for a while. Very good. Very good wine. So now I want to go back to uh, uh, your uh, Shakespeare, and uh, you know, kind of, kind of want to go into how uh, your literary directing got in, got got you to the point where you know you did more acting after that. I don't know if you did more directing or more acting. At what point did you do? More acting versus directing. Yeah. I, I mean, I sort of was wanting to be an actor, but I, I end up directing a lot, um, and so that that was really in England. And when I came over here, I decided that you know I wanted to go back to school and I wanted to go and, and study again and, and be in and try out New York, you know, and, and see what that's like. And so I, I went to this acting conservatory and I really started focusing on. On the acting and um, classical acting in particular, and I've been fortunate to be able to work with uh, with a couple of different companies in the city and uh, and work regionally, um, and particularly in, um, in in classical acting and specifically in Shakespeare. And um, and so recently, I started directing again a little bit. I started I did a sh I did the Tempest uh, in Bryan Park, um, and that was that was a lot of fun. And we you know we. I think we had a pretty decent show, and people were, people came out and they they enjoyed it. So that's okay. always good. Um, okay. But I mean, the acting really has been you know uh, the focus now, and I, I'm I'm fortunate to be 
working working here and, and making my living with doing <laughs> doing wine and selling wine and, cool, and, cool, and doing cool. some wine stuff, but also being out there on on the on the boards and mm. uh, and, and say some speak some Shakespeare to people, which is amazing. Okay, so now tell us, uh, I guess without giving away any secrets, uh, here at Wind Up uh, as as the beverage director, uh, how do you find uh, new wines and how do you find new wines that are interesting enough for you to share with the public it's through different ways um, a lot of it comes you know through tasting mm-hmm. you know and you get uh, you know you get people obviously knocking on your door and saying hey I have this really cool wine you should <laughs> try this and buy a lot of it mm-hmm. um, so it's definitely that um, mm-hmm where you you know out there or you're doing tastings with people and, and you're tasting their new wines and their new vintages and something comes up where you go okay this is really cool this is really different or this is something that I'm looking for sometimes it's it's a matter of you know looking at the list and saying I think this season um, Vionnet would be cool you know mm-hmm. and then you, you you look for for something that might fit the fit the bill in terms of price point in terms of where you might want it from um, we don't have a specific um, focus in terms of where the wines are from uh, we don't you know we don't have you know so this is an Italian place you know it's all time based so we do we swing around um, we definitely have a leaning towards American wine domestic wines but that also sometimes swings towards France or swings towards Italy mm. Um, so right now we run a couple of domestic wines here, and we have some local wines out of the the, uh, the North Fork, um, which is great. And there's some beautiful wines out there, and there's some wonderful wines in the Finger Lakes. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, go New York in terms of wine. There's some lovely <laughs> right, stuff right. going on. Right. So now I know they, I know they do a lot of uh, I guess German style wines in that region. Sure. Is, is that a, further north, yeah, in right, the Finger yeah, Lakes, right, absolutely. Right. Is um, that is that uh, related to a similarity in climate or? Yes, uh, it's definitely a little cooler up there. Um, right. <clears throat> you have, of course, the lakes which um, which retain and and the some of the um, the warmth in the water and it, it, it mellows down the climate a little bit. So even though it, at night it might get very cool or cold. You know, being close to the water is very beneficial because it just keeps that temperature, you know, a bit more moderate. Um, and then, you know, but out in the North Fork, you know, you get some, you get some baller, baller reds. Mm. Uh, really? Get some wow. great, great cab francs. Okay. Um, you can get some, some, I don't know, good merlots out there. You know, mm. sometimes it is hit and miss, but if you, you can find some really good ones out there. You know, and mm. I, I, I am. I'm all for trying to find something local if I can. Mm. So now for me, one of the ways that I, uh, uh, I get to discover new wines is a lot of times when I'm on vacation. And I, you know, I'm staying at a hotel or I'm kind of moving around wherever I'm at. A lot of times that's a way for me to discover new wines. You know, you know um, a lot of uh, really good quality hotels, they tend to have very good good wine lists and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll also have very good uh, wine by the glass a lot of times in, in, in the bar area and uh, even if even if you're not staying in that hotel 
you know, you may kind of venture into a place. Uh, I know I've been in a couple of places uh, in Miami where I was, I was just kind of looking for a piano bar. You know, I wanted to hear the piano player playing live piano, and I ventured in there, and it had some good wine. You know, so that that's a uh, another way, you know, other than friends that that I, uh, you know, discover new wines. So you know, through you know, vacation, hotels, uh, restaurants, you know, here in the city, in New York City, L.A., different cities. Obviously, they they usually have pretty good wine lists, and for me, that's been a good place to discover uh, new wines and interesting wines. And uh, so, I'd like to ask you, other than you know, obviously you do it on a professional level and, and you have uh, distributors, you know, that approach you with, with new product. And so just informally, when you're with friends and family or, or with your, you know, uh, acting partners or your directing partners in, in the uh, thespian world, you know, is that a way for you to discover wine or do you discover any wines in that way in, in more social type environments? Absolutely. I mean... You know, I and I think being, you know, we talked about be, having a wine bar or, or running a wine bar. There is definitely a sort of uh, educational aspect to it. You know, and then that's something that I try to do here myself, but that goes for other places too. And when you go to to a wine bar and and you know, like like wow, I've bought well, this wine, never heard of it. You know, you know, like times or like this, I have never seen this variety made in this particular place or this this winemaker I am unfamiliar with and so what I like doing is going to a, a wine bar and saying like hey what do you like you yeah, know yeah. like tell me <laughs> something that you love right now and mm. and that normally is some is a really good place to start because rather than saying oh I have a Sancerre you know go and talk to the people that are working because they will know the wines way better than than I will uh, looking at the list and then they will probably give you something that you wouldn't have got you know and uh, that might be something different something that you haven't had before mm. and so that's definitely a way of you know finding new wines because if you're not the person in the driver's seat you know, mm-hmm. then you're not gonna you're not gonna go where it's nowhere it's gonna go so right. that's definitely yeah. a place to do it Mm. Okay, so now I want to move to uh, a favorite of mine over the last, uh, probably over the last 10 years. Uh, For me, I've been enjoying uh, uh, a lot of the uh, Riojas. Oh, great. Yeah, I love it. And the uh, Riberas. And uh, particularly a lot of the uh, Telmo Rodriguez, a lot of his blends. you know that he do that he does from that area, and uh, so you know, just want to get your take on on some Spanish Spanish wine, uh, the Riojas, the Riberas, and you know things of that nature. You know, uh, what are your take? How do you like the Spanish style wines? I love Spanish wines in general. Um, they are super interesting. There's some really cool stuff happening in Spain right now, and there are some. You know, great value wines too at times. Um, I was fortunate to be out there in uh, in Rioja about two years ago or so, and I was you know went around there and I ended up staying in La Rioja Alta, which is the sort of northern part of of Rioja, a little bit 
you know, higher altitude, high, you know, in, in style. It tends to be a little more acid-driven, a little bit lighter, not quite as hot a climate. Mm. So you get some really, really beautiful wines. And being in, you know, going into these bars, you know, these, like, little bars on the side of the road, they will have, you know, 15 wines by the glass, all red. And, you know, you can say, I'll have a Criantha and give me three Crianthas, please. <laughs> and they will, you know, be like this, this, and this. And then they're cool. Like, you know, I'll have a couple of Joven and then they might have a Reserva open for you. You never know. Um, they might crack one. Um, but you're suddenly able to, you know, and they will leave you small pores. Mm-hmm. And you, and then you can really start tasting a lot of the wineries in the region because they're they're going to be local. Um, mm. And then you go, wow, this is this is awesome! Like, who is this? Mm. And then you go, and next day you walk to the winery and then do the full tasting and taste all the wines, and you're like, you're like oh, this is amazing. Mm. Um, but you know, nothing, honestly, nothing beats being in a in 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 a region wherever it is. And we talked about it earlier too, you know, being California. Um, but Spanish wines are incredible because you have, you know, like Tempranillo is an incredible variety, uh, and in the Reverdero, you know, you have some great muscular. You know, big, big wines that can be really beautiful. And, you know, again, you have a lot of acid in those wines that really lift them. And, um, and you know, I talk a lot about acid because yeah, I yeah. think it's, <laughs> it's, um, there's a, there's a, there's a Spanish, Spanish winemaker and, uh, um, he said, acid is the passport to eternity. Mm. And, I think that is so true, you know, mm-hmm. if you have acid, you know, that's going to carry the wine, you know, mm-hmm. if, if it's not acidic enough, we don't have enough back, you know, you have to have backbone and t- tannin structure and it has to be, you know, it has to be ripe enough, but if you don't have the acid, that's, that wine is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm a big fan and, I'm, and I like talking about it because I think it's a really good um, way of illustrating brightness and, and also talking about balance uh, mm-hmm. and, and that is that of course that's huge in wine mm-hmm. um, and so I think the greatest wines are in in Spain half half the the size of the muscularity the tannin great fruit but also mm-hmm. good acid and mm-hmm. it's it's beautiful yeah I, I, I love it I love, I love it. it yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a big uh, like I said I'm a big Rioja and a big yeah. Ribeiro fan definitely definitely so now uh, you know, we'll go uh, west a bit. I'm, I'm sorry. We'll go, we'll go east a bit to the Rhone. Sure. And uh, I'm a fan of the uh, Chateau Neufs. Uh, for me, uh, the first uh, Chateau Neuf that I ever had, for me, it was uh, the experience was uh, a wine that had the finesse of a Burgundy. And the power of a Bordeaux. That was my my take on my first Chateau Neuf, you know. And uh, one of the things I, I read in an article a couple of months ago was that uh, the Rhone is experiencing even uh, higher alcohol content levels because of global warming, and and the fruit is ripening earlier, and you know the uh, you know. Uh, the winemakers are having to adjust their, their techniques and, and their picking times and things of that nature 
And uh, so, you know, just wanted to, to, to get your take on that. What do you think about, uh, you know, climate change and global warming and how that affects uh, the quality of the wine around the world? It's uh, huge. Mm. I mean, you know, it's you, you see it everywhere. Uh, you, you certainly see it in the Rhone. You see it in Burgundy. You see it in, Cali- you see it in California for sure. Mm. Um, it's a huge problem. Um, and you're, you know, the weather is being much more unpredictable. Um, it's hotter, um, but also the winters are can be really cold um, and and just the general unpredictability of the weather is a huge problem for the winemakers um, but yeah absolutely I mean you look at Burgundy's amount of uh, Burgundy ripeness levels now are nothing that we've seen before and you have in Champagne too it's a, an issue and you know you have pe- big companies like Roderer buying big huge amounts of lands in England because that's where mm. those wines are going to be made. Not wow. obviously champagne, but mm. sparkling wines and English mm. sparkling wines are becoming a, are incredible. Mm. A great ripeness. Chardonnay is doing really well there. You know, you got some Pinot coming in. Mm. Um, in Germany, we're seeing some people starting to experiment with Cabernet. And because it's just warm, mm. it's way warmer. And, um, you know, I've tasted some recently some pinots from Oregon and they don't taste like pinots from Oregon from 15 years ago wow um, mm. and it's just a, a ripeness level that's coming in and, and everybody has to deal with it and what's you know classic Chardonnay regions are, are gonna be warmer and you have to deal with that and, mm. but on further south that's gonna be a problem because there's gonna be a point where trying to grow grapes is going to be become harder because they just get very ripe mm. um, and you have to start thinking about how can you pick early how can you make sure the, the, wi- the vines are not too stressed and the grapes don't, don't accumulate too much alcohol you know um, or sugar so it's, <laughs> right, it's, right. It's, it's, it's a tricky one and, mm. but it's going to you know the regions are changing and um, we have to figure out a way of making one in 20 years' time in those places because they're not going to taste the same. Mm. Okay. All right. So uh, uh, we've been uh, speaking with Mr. Lucas uh, Weikert of the uh, Wind Up Wine Bar in New York City. And uh, we're at a point where we have to uh, wind up, pun intended. <laughs> this podcast has been really wonderful. And uh, one of the things we do here, Lucas, uh, at one bottle at a time, is uh, ending our podcast. Uh, we'd like to uh, share a short story of the day, and uh, so our audience can have something uh, literary to take them take with them, along with the the good wine. Because uh, I'm one who believes that uh, great literature is uh, more essential than great history in terms of enjoying the world and understanding who and what we are. So uh, for me, my uh, short story of the day is uh, from Jack London, one of my favorite authors uh, from wine country. (laughs) And it's called All Gold's Canyon. 
a really uh, nice, uh, nice short read, very wonderful story. So once again, it's uh, All Gold's Canyon by uh, Jack London. So Lucas, if you uh, can share a little your literary uh, taste with our audience, if you can give them a short story to take with them and enjoy with a nice glass of wine. I mean, we've talked about uh, Shakespeare, so obviously um, the plays are a little long, but I would probably say go and pick up a sonnet um, okay. and uh, you know they're they're short enough and maybe you can get through a couple of them and <laughs> and, and 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 go and and uh, enjoy a glass of wine with that I think that is uh, that uh, that is something that I uh, you know I would like to do maybe tonight or uh, <laughs> I would definitely encourage everybody else to do that too okay all right so uh, once again uh, Lucas if you can uh, tell our audience uh, the wine that we've enjoyed this episode. And also, uh, if you like, you can give a, uh email address uh, if someone has any questions for you, if they'd like to contact you, if you want to do that. And uh, also, we encourage you to uh, uh, visit the Wind Up Wine Bar in the Flatiron District of New York City uh, if you're here on a visit. So, Lucas, what's the, uh, is it a, uh, some information where people can contact you if they like, if you like to give them information? Absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, so the, the wine we've had is called The Tinker, and um, the company is called Hawker Wine Company. And um, you can find us at, on, uh, on our website, which is www.hawkerwine.com. And also we have an Instagram as well. That's always fun. And, you know, um, if you have any questions or if you want to figure out where to get a bottle or something just you know shoot me an email at lucas that's l-u-k-a-s at hawkerwine.com uh, and yeah thank you so much for having me it's okay, been really cool. fun yeah it's been good yeah good wine okay so this is ronald dorsey of the one bottle at a time podcast and uh keep it moving thank you so very much thank you